I'm going to be in several different places. I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer and fasting and, and really just, just moving into to seeking the Lord for the beginning of this year. Because in the beginning of the year, obviously, I don't know if it's just the way we're wired as human beings, but whenever we have a new year that starts, we start to think about, man, new things are coming, right? Something is going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to make some resolutions. I'm going to make some personal changes. And I honestly think that it's a good time to evaluate your life, to look at things that maybe God is asking you to lay down, look at some things that God maybe is asking you to pick up, look at some things that maybe God is asking you to refine. And just like with what Brian was saying, what's, what, God, what word are you going to give me for this year for 2020? What are you going to say to me that I need to focus on, that I need to work on? Because you are trying to make me better. You're trying to make me stronger. You're trying to make me wiser. And I need to be open to the change that you're trying to bring about in my life. So we're going to start this and, 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 and go through it. But I want us to pray together. Can we do that? And I want you to maybe even get something in your mind. What, what's something you're believing God for uh, for the beginning of this year, moving into this next year, this next season together? I know there's a lot of things going on in our church that we need to be praying for. I told Brian Coville, I said, now don't get up and make any jokes about prayer and fasting because when you joke about prayer and fasting, it only, it only reinforces the fact that most people don't ever take it seriously. Somebody amen me on that this morning. Praise God, Clay, you're preaching good already. That is hot fire. Oh, man. But you don't want to reinforce the fact that most people do not take it seriously to begin with. And throughout Scripture, prayer and fasting is something that takes place over and over and over again from the beginning to the end. And there's a purpose for it. And when God's people get serious about God and get serious about what God wants to do in their midst, they seek God with prayer and fasting. And so I, I, want, I want to address that a little bit. I want to talk about that. And, and by the grace of God, hopefully I can move your heart to a position where we can participate together in some way in order to seek the Lord and see him move in a mighty way in our midst. Because I don't know about you, but I, I'm not interested in going through another year of my life without God's presence changing things in my life and God's will being done in my life. I'm not interested in just going through the motions year after year. I want to see God move. I want to see God do what his word has promised us. I want to see our community changed. I want to see our church grow. I want to see souls saved. I want to see our youth strong. I want to see bodies healed. I want to see sick, the sick recover. I want to see God move. Amen. And I believe biblically that when God's people choose to seek his face and pray that God moves. There's a, there, it's, a, it's not a coincidence that when God's people pray, things happen. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. And so we want to we get that in our hearts. So let's pray together. And Father, we just, we thank you for that, God. And we thank you that you've brought us to 2020, Lord. There's something significant about this year and only you know the mystery behind it and, and everything that you have planned for us. But Lord God, what we don't want to do is fall short in what you have given us the responsibility to participate with you in. Lord, we don't want to fall short. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to be lax. But we want to understand, God, that you are calling us as individuals and as a body into something greater in this upcoming year. And so we're asking right now that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, and our ears would be attentive to what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. Lord, wake us up. Wake our hearts up. Lord, make us alert, make us sensitive to how your Spirit is working and how your Spirit is moving. 
And, and God, I pray that right now we just lift everything up to you because, God, we're believing you for miracles. We're believing you for big things. And we just put those in your hands right now. And we begin to pray those prayers right now. And I pray that, God, somehow you would just give us a special grace in this season of prayer and seeking your face and fasting that, Lord, it would, it would, just be, it would be a joy to us. Because just like with Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And Lord, we want to see that joy that's set before us that you want to bring about in our lives as we seek you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, we, like I said, it's always a good time at the end of the year, the beginning of a new year to evaluate your lives. Ask yourself what the Lord's asking you to lay, lay aside, what he's asking you to pick up and try to recalibrate your life to what God is saying in, the, in this time. And we, we, we've got to hear from the Lord. And I'm telling you, the church as a whole, this church as well, I don't want to say, I never want to say and think that our church somehow is on a different spiritual plane because the truth is we're just not. And what we have to do is we have to understand, we have to take an honest evaluation of ourselves as individuals and as a body and say, God, what do you want to do in our lives? And we desperately need a hunger for awakening. There's got to be a hunger for God, a hunger for God's presence that only he can birth in our lives. And we have to say, God, I want to be hungry once again. And there's something that happens when a true believer begins to seek God and say to themselves, I really don't just want to go through the motions of Christianity anymore. God, I want the real. I want to see what your word says. And, and what's so funny is when people start to actually read scripture, usually nine times out of 10, if they don't just get their scripture from what they hear preached on Sunday, they get into the Bible and they start to find out, wow, there's stuff that's going on in this scripture that we don't see at church. Amen. There's stuff going on in the Bible that I don't see in my day-to-day life. There is stuff going on, and I'm wondering why these things are not happening. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to stir a hunger in you that is a hunger that is greater than your hunger for food. Amen. You want to see God move more than you want a cheeseburger, more than you want your next meal. You want the presence of God in your life. And I don't know about you, but I've been in this situation in my life many times. I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you when I became a Christian. I thought growing up I was a Christian. As far as I know, I always believed in Jesus. But here's what I can tell you. My conversion experience when everything changed, when God set me free, when things changed in my life was when I was, when I was 20 years old and it was directly tied into prayer and fasting. I was at a point in my life when I had a lot of addictions. I couldn't go without drugs and alcohol and pornography and different things like that. But yet I was seeking God because I was so empty and so broken that I was depressed. And I had honestly lost my hunger for life in general. And I start reading scripture and I come across all of these different, these different places in scripture. I want to read a few, few places in scripture that just really got into my heart. And, and for example, Deuteronomy 4.29, notice the theme in these verses. It says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, probably everybody's definition for what finding God looks like is different. 
If I asked you, have you found God? You'd probably say, well, yeah, I found God. But how much of him have you found in that sense? Like, like God is this massive entity that you could never exhaust his love and his goodness and his power and his nature. There's more of God to be sought after. And it says, but when you search for me with all of your heart and with all of your soul, you're going to find me. Jeremiah 29, 13, right after the, the scripture that we all love, Jeremiah 29, 11, but I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to give you peace and, and, and to give give you a hope and a future. But then in verse 13, it says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? You have to. He says, he says those who come to God must believe that one, God is, and two, this God that we believe in rewards those who choose to diligently seek Him. When we make a choice to diligently seek God, He has it already planned to reward you based on your level of seeking His face. That's just how He operates. Now, now we got to understand something that, that the, the first thing that Jesus taught... One of the things that I learned that Jesus taught as I'm reading scripture is that number one in your notes is Jesus taught that prayer and fasting is a necessity in the Christian life. Jesus taught that prayer and fasting is a necessity in the Christian life. And a lot of people would say, well, you know, prayer and fasting, that's something that people did in the Bible. That's, that's not for us today. You know what I'm really tired of? I'm really tired of the Christian church saying that there are things that happened in the Bible that they did in the Bible, but we don't do that now. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just worn out with that. When it happened in the Bible, they were setting a precedent for how we should live our lives as long as this world exists as the way that it does. Jesus says that his disciples would pray and fast and that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and they would continue to pray and fast until he returned, right? That, this, that these, there were these things that were going to happen. God wants to move in our midst, and he's calling us to seek him on a greater level. Now, for me personally, I started reading these scriptures. I started, I remember reading them specifically, and I remember the first time that I fasted. And I mean, at that point, I was I, I, I had some beer on me. I had a little bit of pot on me. You know what I'm saying? I know that you're like, well, this is our pastor, my Lord. What kind of shape is he in? I was, I, listen, I was a young man. I didn't know God. I was far from God, but I was convicted. I had started reading the Bible. And here's what I knew. I knew that a sinner's prayer was not taking care of my real issues. I had said a sinner's prayer. And when, when, when I counsel a lot of people, the, the conversation I get into them with is they, they're like, well, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if, I, if, if maybe I'm actually saved or, or, or this or that. Listen, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he's the son of God, that he was sent for your sins and he died on the cross, he was raised again from the dead and you've confessed him as Lord based on faith. We know that that's all that's needed for salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. But what happens is, is that we are so intoxicated with this world that we can believe in Jesus, receive salvation and not know how to grow spiritually so that our life is actually transformed and lines up with our salvation. And 90% of Christians in today's society, they are saved, they believe in Jesus, but their life is not lining up with that salvation. Amen. So fasting, let me tell you this, prayer and fasting is not an issue of salvation. 
It's not an issue of you're trying to do it to earn God's salvation. You don't pray and fast to earn God's blessing. You don't pray and fast to earn, earn God's favor or His love. He already loves you. He's already determined to bless you. But you begin to pray and fast because you are trying to get mastery over your flesh and you're trying to bring yourself into alignment with God who is spirit so that you can receive everything that He has purchased for you on the cross. Your flesh is getting in the way of your life. Your flesh and your body and your physical appetites are destroying your relationship with the Lord. And if you cannot get mastery over those things, then you're going to continue to wonder, why is God not coming through in these things? Why are these things not changing? You ever get to a point in your life where you're just desperate for a breakthrough? I'm just desperate for a change. I'm sick of myself. I'm sick of this addiction. I'm sick of this sinful habit. I'm sick of thinking the same way. I'm sick of this fear. I'm sick of the, all of these things. I've been there. And when I got there, I said, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get this out of me because I've said the sinner's prayer 3,000 times now and I'm still in this bondage. I'm still in this brokenness. I'm still in this depression. I still feel far from you. And as far as I know, I don't even know if you're even real, God. I have to take it at other people's words that preachers that speak on Sunday morning. I need to have an encounter with you. That's where I was at. And I remember, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? And at this point I wasn't even going to church, but I was reading scripture and I was reading the Bible. I was still living my crazy life in the in-betweens. But on Christmas day in 2007, I, pr I fasted my first time. I fasted a full 24 hours. Didn't eat a bite, just drank water that day. And it was painful. Let me tell you, can I just go ahead and give you all a little, a little preface? Fasting ain't fun. You're going to be uncomfortable. You'll hate it. It will not be good. And if you're going to be uncomfortable for a purpose, like you're not going to get two or three days into a fast and say, man, this is great. I feel better. No, you're going to be detoxing sugar and caffeine, wanting to throw up, and, and your head's going to be throbbing like crazy. That's what's going to happen. And, you're, and then what you're going to do is you're going to see a, a Reese cup laying over on the counter and you're going to unwrap that thing and scarf it down before anybody else can get to you, right? I mean, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. Y'all amen me this morning, right? You got to resist that. And, 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 and that's, that is the flesh crying out to you on your most basic nature and level and it's mastering your entire life. And when you cannot get mastery over that most basic appetite in your life, it just goes to show that at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, most likely you are more led by your flesh than you are the spirit. And I know that's a difficult thing, but this is why Jesus taught that fasting and prayer is not just something that Christians may or may not do. It's a lifestyle of a disciple. It's something that they integrate into their lives. And I'm not saying you've got to go 40 days without food, but I am saying that God is challenging you to something specifically where you begin to press in deeper. So I, went, I remember I went one day, I fasted one day, and I said, God, you've got to change some things in my life. Do you know that after I prayed and fasted, nothing on the outside changed? Matter of fact, I think things got worse. It almost is like I just made the devil mad. Somebody amen me, right? Because if you begin to fast and pray, guess who ain't going to like it much? Matter of fact, when Jesus, Jesus begins his ministry, what does he do to open his ministry? Now, we're talking about God, folks. We're talking about God in the flesh. 
He says, I'm getting ready to start my ministry. It's the will of God for me to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out devils. And on the third day after I die, I'm going to be raised again from the dead. And he knows this is going to happen according to the foreknowledge and purpose and plan and will of God. He knows it's going to happen. He could have just sat back and let it happen, couldn't he? No, he decides in order to make sure that these things are fulfilled. He goes into the wilderness and he prays and he fasts and he seeks the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's there, 40 days and 40 nights, guess who comes out to jack with him? The devil himself. Because when you begin to press into God, guess what? You're going to experience some resistance. He's going to say, no, he is going to try to throw every thought in your direction. And, what, and, and part of it, let me tell you something, folks. Part of your growth spiritually is when you face that resistance and you're able to say no in the face of it. You're able to continue to resist it. That's part of your spiritual growth. And it has to hurt. It has to be uncomfortable. That's the purpose. That's how you strengthen your resolve and you strengthen your will. When it feels like you can't go on and it feels like you're not going to be able to make it and everything in your body is crying out, stop this, quit doing this, you're killing me, this is uncomfortable, this doesn't feel good, and you say no, guess what you are doing? You are gaining dominion back over your person. You're getting control back over your life. You're allowing the Spirit of God to be the number one influence in your life once again. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, I, read the, I remember reading this when I was in the midst of some, very, some real struggles in my life, wanting to have an encounter with God. Honestly, when I went to church, I heard different things. You know, like I would go to one church and they, they'd be crazy. They'd be hollering in tongues and going wild and everything. And then I go to another church and they say, well, you know, that stuff ain't real. God don't do that no more. And so I got so confused that I said, you know what? Forget this. I ain't going to church. Now, I don't recommend that to any of you. Amen. Come to church next Sunday. But this is what I got in my mind because there was so much confusion. And what I wanted was not to hear from a person. I wanted to hear from God. And sometimes you got to get that in your heart. I mean, you, get, you want to come to church, you want to hear the word of God, but man, you got to get to a point where you're so hungry that you're sick and tired of getting spoon fed by somebody else and you want to hear from God for yourself. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He talked about prayer, he talked about fasting, and he talked about giving. And right here in fasting, he said, moreover, when you fast. Notice he said, when you fast. He didn't say, hey, moreover, if you actually happen to fast, you don't really have to, but... No, he said, when you fast, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What is their reward? Their reward is people saying, man, that guy sure is spiritual. Look at him. He's praying. He's fasting. My Lord. That's your reward. And that's a cheap reward. I mean, who really cares what other people think if you're spiritual or not? You don't do, we don't do any of these things for a spiritual badge. Somebody amen me again. Spiritual gifts are not for a spiritual badge. We're not even comparing ourselves with anybody else. We don't care. What we care about is God's will being done and people being saved, people being set free, people being built up in God. And however God chooses to use us, that's fine. But this is not about us. This is about bringing glory to the name of God. This is about Him using us. So He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. And so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
Now, here's what, so, so here's what we know. We're going to call, we're going to say corporately, we're going to encourage people to fast from January the 6th to the 26th. And we can talk about ways that, that that can be done and how you can participate. I don't expect everybody obviously to go no food for 21 days, even though I know folks that have done it and they turned out in really good shape as long as they didn't eat a Papa John's pizza on the last day. <laughs> right? Amen. If you're going to go 21 days, make sure you come, <laughs> make sure you come off of it with some broth or something. <laughs> but, but listen, we, so, so we, we're a church that believes in fasting. And almost every time we've done it, we've seen God move in, in miraculous ways. I'm sorry, Donald. They, there's a couple people that know that was you. And then I didn't. <laughs> so, but he says this. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So when we call the 21-day fast, what you don't want to do is get in this habit and say, well, you know, hey, will you fast him? Will you fast him? Will you fast him? Well, I'm hungry. I'm starved to death. My Lord, I, I'm hungry and I'll get out. You're pretty much emphasizing the fact that you're on a fast. God's saying, you know what? Keep, just keep it calm. Just keep it private. Keep it to yourself. Let it be between you and God. Don't even necessarily spend a lot of time discussing. You can encourage one another when you're in a corporate fast and say, yeah, I am doing this and this is what I'm going to do. I'm obviously going to plan with my wife what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, don't go to the grocery store these weeks. or what. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to plan things out, but I'm not going to make it a big deal. Why? Because I want to keep as much as, of it as I can between God and myself. I want to keep it there because what happens in the secret place between me and God, he's going to reward that openly. And when we do that corporately as a church, we know I know I've got my brothers and sisters praying and fasting with me. I don't have to know everything that you're doing or how you're doing it, but I know that you're praying with me. I know that you're believing with me because why? It's not just about not eating. It's about praying first and foremost. And what I would say to most of you is even if you say, well, I just can't fast, man, that's too much. Do something in your prayer life. Up your prayer life to the nth degree. If you say, I ain't, I'm not not eating, I Clay, you're just crazy, I'm not doing that. That's fine. We, won't, we don't judge you. We don't, we don't care. You do what God leads you to do. And I believe that prayer brings breakthroughs in and of itself. Amen. Amen. And so, but, but do something in your prayer life, even if you choose to not do that. But have the, look for the right motives and have an expectation that God is going to reward you openly. Now, let me tell you something. God wants to do more than we could ever imagine. And another thing here that, that, I, that honestly is, is sort of wearing me out some spiritually is how many people I come across that just, just believe that everything that happens is God's will. I got into a conversation with somebody the other day and it, it's almost shocking to me sometimes because, you know, somebody said, well, well, if this person gets stage four cancer, I mean, it, obviously that's just God's will. The only problem that I have with that is that when Jesus came upon every sick or demonized person, not one time did he say, this particular instance, this is the Father's will. God brought this. No, he healed every manner of sickness and disease. Now what we see is that we live in a world that is just full of sin, sickness, disease, death. It happens. And ultimately, those things will not come and be restored until Jesus comes back fully. But see, we still have the responsibility to pursue healing, deliverance and freedom for all who are oppressed that we have we have that we cannot look at the addicts and say well this was just God's will for you he just wanted you to be an addict we can't look at people that are sick and need need healing in their body and just say well we would not have even made hospitals if we believe that to be true why do we try so hard to make people well because we know ultimately that to be healthy and to be whole is the good 
is the good. Now, can God make lemonade out of lemons? Can He take sickness and death and make good out of it? Absolutely, because He's God. And that's what He does. And He turns things for good. And He has good plans in mind. But when we see loss, death, and destruction, we don't see the work and the plan of God. We see the work and plan of the enemy and a result of the fall. And Jesus comes to bring restoration in those areas. And He says, one way that you can participate with me in bringing healing and restoration and deliverance and freedom is you can begin to pray and fast and seek my face. And the power of the Spirit will be released because you guys have now become my vessels and my channels on the earth through which my power flows because you're my body on the earth. When Jesus' body was on the earth, the power of God through the Holy Spirit went through him to heal the sick, to set free the captives. And now guess who his body is on the earth? We are. Who's his power going to flow through? It's going to flow through us. And if it flows through, and if we know that it's going to flow through us, we need to become receptacles and vessels and prayer and fasting and seeking the face of God is how we become the channels through which this power passes. Y'all say amen to that with me this morning. I'm a little bit passionate about it. God has already moved on the cross. We're not waiting. We're not waiting on God to move. Okay. We're not waiting on God to move. Jesus made his ultimate move on the cross 2,000 years ago when he said, guess what, fellas? It is finished. Your healing has been purchased. Your deliverance has been purchased. Your salvation has been purchased. Your resurrection has been pur purchased. Your, your freedom from the curse of the law has been purchased. You coming up under all the blessing of Abraham has now been purchased. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. And then we ask the question, well, God, if it's already purchased and done and you already paid for it, why in the world are we not receiving it? Because we receive from God in a participation. He doesn't just give it to you because he gives it to you when you come and you ask for it and you participate with, with him and you seek him for it. This is how the blessing and the benefit of God comes. He asks us to seek him. Otherwise, Jesus would not say, seek and you will find. Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door shall be opened. He would have just said, set still. I've already done it. I'm going to put it in your account and you're going to have it. He asked us. He invites us into this seeking. He invites us into this pressing into Him. And so here's the, here's the second point that I want to give you is that the promise of God does not give us an excuse for passivity. Somebody amen me on that one, right? The promise, just because God made you a promise does not give you an excuse to say, well, He promised it. I'm just going to sit back and let it happen. No, we respond to God's promises with earnest seeking. Do you know that Daniel... In the book of Daniel, we're familiar with what we call the Daniel fast, right? Because we see that even Daniel, when he was a young man, when he was an older man, he prayed three times a day. And it speaks about specifically why we call it a Daniel fast was because Daniel, Daniel was a guy who was, he worked a lot, right? He was, he was busy. I mean, he probably had an 80 hour work week working for the king. He was a busy man. And so he had to eat something in order to, you know, maintain his day to day operation, so to speak. And that's why some people choose to do a Daniel fast. And what that is, is that you just eat enough to get by essentially. You eat fruits and vegetables. You don't eat meat. You don't drink, eat anything sweet. You're just eating enough to get you by during the day so that you can function and operate and have the strength to work. That's what a Daniel fast is. You cut everything out except what would bar just barely get you by essentially. And Daniel did this for 21 days. And do you know why he did it for 21 days? He was in Babylon in captivity 
And he read in the scripture that after 70 years, God would bring them out of Babylon, out of captivity. Now, what he could have done is what a lot of us done is he could have read that promise and say, I claim that and then not done anything. He could have done that. He said, well, it's just God's promise. It's going to happen. Instead, he said, there's God's promise in the word. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek God's face until something happens and God brings his promise to pass. In other words, when we see God's promise, we don't get passive. We begin to pursue his promise until it comes to pass. Yeah, God has promises, but he doesn't intend to release them until his people come into agreement with him and seek his face. He's not interested in giving a promise to a people who have not refined their hearts through the process of seeking. Man, that's real good. That just came. Where'd that come from, Lord? That's good. He's not interested in giving his promises to people who are not willing to go through the process of refinement through seeking. And you're going to have to seek his face in order to see some of the things that he wants to do in your life to come to pass because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where he begins to change you. That's where things begin to take place. And throughout scripture, you see Moses fasting, Elijah, David, Nehemiah, Esther fasted, Jonah, and even the wicked Ninevites, Joel, Ezra, Jesus, his disciples, and then Paul. All of them fasted throughout scripture. And they could have said, well, all of these things have promised. Let's not worry. No, they all chose to pray and fast in order to see the promises come into fruition. It's God's blueprint on how we see his will done through us. And so we have a responsibility to participate. Let's look at in the book of Joel. Joel is a book, uh, it's got a lot of stuff in it, but the, in Joel they talk specifically about how fasting brings things to pass. So that first, the first verse in Joel, Joel 2.25, you can put that up. Now notice God's purpose. He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Do you know that God's purpose and plan for your family, for this community, for our nation is to bring a restoration of all that the enemy has stolen, all that he's eaten, all that he's affected, all that he's damaged. God wants to bring restoration. God wants to restore our lives. He wants to restore our, our brokenness. He wants to bring restoration. Those, that's his purpose. So, so they see that purpose that God wants to bring restoration. And notice how they respond to it. In, in, in 2.12, it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Now again, I want you to understand something about fasting. I'm going to say this a second time. Fasting is not supposed to be enjoyable. It, it, it actually, there's a mourning involved with it. There's a weeping. There's a, there's a realizing of your condition. Jesus said, blessed are those who, who mourn, right? He didn't say blessed are those who are just happy all the time. He said, blessed are those who mourn because they have a realization of their situation, the world's situation, and they weep and they're broken over it and they're sharing God's heart over it and they're saying, God, we need a change in our hearts and let it start in mind. Let it start in mind. And then in the next verse, verse 15, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast. That means set, a, set aside a particular set of time, consecrate this time, and choose to fast. And then he said, call a sacred assembly. Now on, Wednesday, on these Wednesday nights, one translation would say call a solemn assembly. And what it literally means is they would meet together and they would come together and nobody would say a word. 
They would sit in a room for about four hours and nobody would say a word and they would just be silent and they would pray to God silently and they would let that stillness wash over them as if to say, we're going to listen for your voice, God. We're not going to speak because we don't deserve to speak. Our hearts have been lifted up in pride. We've fallen away from you. We've not lived for you. We've lived this entire past year for ourselves if we really take a nice evaluation of it. We don't care about the poor and the afflicted anymore. There's addicts all over our streets and guess what? Matter of fact, we just sort of push it out of our mind a lot of the time. And we need, to, we need to get into a solemn assembly and say, Lord, I need my heart changed. I need something to change in my life. And so that's why we're going to meet on Wednesdays. And we're just going to meet here for a brief time together and pray because I want you to spend the majority of your time in prayer privately and with your family. And I want you to spend that time. But we need to meet once a week over these next several Wednesdays. And it won't be this, this coming Wednesday, but it'll be the following when we start the, the fasting on the 6th or whatever. But we're just going to meet in here and not even say that much. We're going to play some music overhead. We're going to be quiet. We're going to pray together. And at the end, we're going to join and we're going to pray. But listen, and I know, see, when you call prayer meetings... You can, call, you can call different things and people will show up. But when you call prayer meetings, man, you get about two that show up. And I, do, I don't understand that in the church, folks. I don't get it. I don't understand how it is that we call ourselves Christians, but we place so little value on the power of prayer. And I know I'm not trying to be sound. I'm not angry or anything, but it, it's just that I'm getting to the point spiritually where I'm wondering where are we actually going? Where are we actually going? Because until we actually care, that's why I'm saying go Tuesday night to be with them in that prayer meeting. Go there and pray and lay, and lay your heart out before God and weep if you must and cry and say, Lord, I need an encounter with you. I need something real. I need something that moves. I need something that changes me. I'm so tired of living the same way and just putting a Christian sticker on it. I want something real in my life. And he says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes. Man, bring the babes in and hold them off on the milk for about a half hour. I, I was kidding about that one. Don't, don't put your babies through fasting. Feed your babies. But see, when we choose to call that solemn assembly, we choose to consecrate a fast. We choose to set aside time to God. What happens? God responds. 2, 28 and 29. Notice what it says. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After the people of God finally come before him and weeping and mourning and fasting and saying, Lord, don't bring us into a reproach. Raise up your people. Restore the years that the, that the devil has eaten in our land. Change this. He says, after that, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And here's you. Some people say, well, you know, that happened on the day of Pentecost, Clay. That was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. But can I tell you that this is still currently being fulfilled. God is pouring his spirit out and he has been pouring his spirit out generation after generation. But do you know where he pours his spirit out? He pours his spirit out to those who choose to seek his face and cry out to them and call upon his name and say, God, we can't live without you. We need an awakening. We need life change. We need to see you move in our midst. That's where his spirit comes to. You say amen to that. Amen. See, and you may ask yourself, well, why in the world, Clay, do I pray and I pray and I pray and I feel like I've prayed so much. And sometimes these things just they just they just go unanswered. How many you guys, I know a lot of you feel like you're in a position where you, I've been praying and nothing's happening and what's going on. And now I don't I don't I don't know every mystery. I don't know why things don't happen. I know there's a lot of variables going on. You got you got demons and angels at war. You got things in the spiritual world. You got our own wicked hearts and false motives and 
and, and all of these things going on and then our unbelief is coupled in with it and, and, and then you got God's plans where he does know things that we don't know and, and how does that work in and we don't understand it all but that does never give us the, the, the excuse to say well I'm just not going to pray I'm going to let it go. Now Jesus taught about persistence in prayer and in Matthew 17 he teaches us something else. Let's look at Matthew 17. Now this is kind of review for a lot of our church but, but I want to go through it anyway. Matthew chapter 17 Verse 14, it says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, this first little part, notice... This man has a son, and it says here he's ep epileptic, and uh, different translations say different things, but we know that he has some sort of a physical and maybe even a spiritual, and we find out later that it is a spiritual issue that's going on. And, you know, when the devil does get in people's lives, what I notice, I, I like how it says fire and water. He often falls into the fire, he often falls into the wire. water. Why? Because fire and water are two extremes. And when people are living under demonic influence they often live in extremes and you start to see these extremes taking place in people's lives and I, I, I talk to people and when I see extremes I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think and discern Lord how I need to pray specifically toward this because we may not just be dealing with a flesh issue somehow or another there's there's a there's a demonic activity that's happening into their life maybe maybe it's some kind of sin that they participated in and it could be a lot of different things it could be a wound that they've experienced there's there's different things that are going on but you start to see these extremes and what we've what we've actually seen uh, Donald and I even specifically we've went to different places we told you the story about when we went to Missouri but when we go and we did these encounter retreats in various places and sometimes uh, uh, we're, we're praying for different folks but there there are at least four occasions that I can think of specifically where at the end of prayer and fasting sometimes 21 days sometimes just a three-day fast but at the end of our prayer and fasting right at the end of it we saw a measure of breakthrough and we don't know how what was actually happening but God moved in people's lives and their demonic oppression manifested and God set them completely free I don't know why I don't, I, I don't know why that happens, but there's something about prayer and fasting in the spiritual realm that the devil hates because somehow God's power is being released. And, and, and the truth is you don't even necessarily feel it. Like at the end of these fasts, we felt awful. I remember, I remember Donald, and I mean, I was thinking about getting home and eating cheeseburgers and stuff. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's not that we felt good or felt anything different. It's not about what you feel. You can't feel the things that are going on in the spirit. They're not sensual. They're not physical. They're spiritual. But I can promise you when you're seeking God and you're praying and you're fasting, something is going on. Something is changing. Your deliverance and other people's deliverances are being set up. In my life, every, I've had my greatest breakthroughs ever in my life have come through prayer and fasting. I would not be preaching today, I promise you. When God called me to preach, I was, I was so consumed with fear that it, it was an irrational, crazy kind of a fear. And, 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 it, and it was hindering me. And I actually, I actually said, I, can't, I, just, I cannot do this. I told my pastor, I said, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. Surely God's called me to something else because I, you can't feel this way and do it. And I went on a three-day fast. And on the third day of that fast, I felt that fear just break off of me. And before, before that, 
I mean, I could not get up in front of a group of people like you and stand up and be, be at ease and, and, and have peace and, and trust that God was going to use me. I couldn't do it. But after that, I prayed and God broke that thing off of me. What I'm saying is you need to pursue God for these breakthroughs in your life. Some of you, you have just submitted to your difficulties. You've submitted to your addictions. You've submitted to your challenges. And you say, Lord, help me. And you pray that one prayer. And just because he doesn't fix it instantly, you say, well, I just must be going to have to deal with this the rest of my life. And I'm saying you do not have to deal with this the rest of your life. We need to grow spiritually. This year needs to be a year where we make a decision to grow spiritually greater than we ever have in our lives to see things change and some people will say well clay that just sounds rough because it sounds like you're putting all the emphasis on the on the person and and not on god and and we can't actually do it no we cannot do it but listen god invites us to seek him diligently and that's our responsibility if we seek him diligently and we don't see anything move then that's then that is on him but when our responsibility is to seek him diligently and we're not doing our part, then it's on us. Amen. So he says, I brought this boy to your disciples, but he, they couldn't heal him. Now, again, this is, this is where the church is today. I think there are so many people with serious issues. And oftentimes the church does not have... We say, we preach a good message. And we say, man, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. And I believe that. Don't you believe that? He is the answer. He is the solution. But is it possible that the church has, has become so powerless that, that we actually don't have the same Jesus that we preach? Just a thought. Because there are people that are in need of, of, of serious freedom. And the gospel, we have, we have to establish first that we believe that the gospel has the power to bring healing and freedom. You guys believe that with me, right? And if it does have the power to bring healing and freedom, then I'm going to pursue that power of the gospel until we see it released and healing and freedom begins to come into people's lives. But notice what Jesus said in verse 17 after the disciples couldn't heal him, cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Well, that sounds a little bit rude, Jesus. Are you not taking into account the feelings of the people that are sitting here? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now Jesus exposes two problems. He exposes the fact that they are faithless and that they are perverse. Now if Jesus had said that to me, I'd have been like, Jesus, I've been following you for two and a half years now, bro. You're going to say that to me? I might get mad and leave this church. I mean, that's rude. Jesus is saying this obviously out of love, isn't he? Because he is love. Anything Jesus says, he's saying it out of love. So he's trying to push past their veneer that somehow they believe that they've been doing everything that they need to be doing. And he's saying, no, at the end of the day, you're faithless. And at the end of the day, you're perverse. And that's really why these things are going on in your life and you don't understand it. And I just need to go ahead and call that out for you. And see, they're faithless because they lost their intimacy with God. We become faithless and we become without faith because somehow or another, we have disconnected ourselves from God. Just like Brian was saying, we're not in the word of God. We're not in scripture. Our prayer life has waned. We've not been seeking the Lord. And we get disconnected and our intimacy with God begins to be relaxed. And all of a sudden, we don't have faith to see anything happen or, or for God to bring anything about. And here's, the, here's what I really, in, in America right now, we have an epidemic of unbelief. And I'm not just talking about in America. I'm talking about in the church what we have is an epidemic, an epidemic of believers who at the end of the day actually don't believe. They say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. 
but they do not believe on a daily basis that God moves in a real way to bring healing, deliverance, and transformation. They think, well, that stuff's past and that really doesn't happen anymore. And so they're believers, but they're unbelieving believers. And this is what kind of situation that Jesus is saying. He says, not only are you faithless, but you're perverse. So we're faithless because we lost our intimacy with God, but we're perverse because we're too intimate with the world. We're disconnected with God, but we are connected to TV and music and, and all kinds of crazy different things, man, to the nth degree. We are more connected to our... If we were as connected to God as we were to our iPhones, my Lord, we would, we would come in here and be levitating under the power of God. There would be, we would, somebody see an angel in the corner. I mean, because, because most of y'all, if you pull out your iPhone right now and you looked at it, and, and you went over to that place now where it says screen time, I'm going to say your weekly average is probably about five to six hours a day, most of you. Somebody amen me this morning. Man, Clay, you're really getting after it this morning, bro. Would you just t turn it down to about level five? Man? Our screen time would be about that. Now, just a, you reckon you might have a, a minute or two maybe to fit some prayer in there? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a minute or two could fit some prayer in there. It'd be rough. I mean, I gotta have that phone time, and my screen time's important, right? This and, and again, this is all out of love, right? Y'all know I love you, right? Amen. And we become too intimate with the world, and ultimately, we become powerless. We're we're inundated with fear, with unbelief, with depression. With compromise, we're lukewarm. We've not heard from the Lord. We crave a word of God from somebody else because we don't have one on our own. And we have an inability to hear God's voice and all of a sudden lust creeps up into our life. Anger creeps up into our life. An ungodly type of busyness creeps into our life because we don't have our priorities set in order. And then in verse 18 and verse 20, after Jesus calls them out, it says that Jesus simply rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. So Jesus did it instantly. The disciples could not do it. Notice that Jesus did not say, okay, and here's what happens. They said, verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately. They got to get into the private spot and say, hey, Jesus, man, why, why couldn't we cast it out? Notice that Jesus does not say, he does not say, boys, you couldn't cast it out because I'm the only one that can do that stuff because I'm the only one that heals and brings freedom and, and it's in order to prove that I'm God. No, he didn't say that. He also, he also didn't say, you know, you, you, guys, you guys couldn't, couldn't, couldn't heal them because you're just disciples. You don't have that power. He didn't say that either, did he? Now, what he, what he does say is, in verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, here's the thing. And we talk about this all the time. When people are praying for healing, when people are praying for deliverance, it is rude to say, well, you just don't have the faith when things don't happen. Don't say that. You'll just be a jerk. Right. That, that's not, it is not one where it's not our it's not our responsibility as Christians to judge somebody else's faith. It's our, it's our responsibility to be responsible for our own faith, okay? And if somebody else doesn't have the faith, I want to undergird them and have faith alongside of them. But I never want to judge somebody else's situation and say, well, they just didn't have the faith. 
They just didn't have the faith. I have no idea what they, don't, what they have or don't have. Only God knows. Here's what I know. I know that when Jesus addressed most issues, whether they happened or did not happen, he addressed folks' unbelief. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus comes to his hometown. It says that he could do no mighty work there. It basically entails that he was trying to do mighty works and trying to heal people, but it says that he could not because of their unbelief. And he marveled at their unbelief. So in some sense, Jesus was actually hindered from performing what he wanted to perform because of people's unbelief. And then here he addresses them. He said, look, boys, it's because of your unbelief. Because if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea. And it would happen for you and nothing would be impossible. Get that in your heart, that nothing would be impossible. If my heart were to just line up with God, nothing would be impossible. And so many times, blind Bartimaeus man that's blind from his birth comes to Jesus. Jesus heals him. And what does he say to blind Bartimaeus? He didn't say, hey, I healed you. He actually said, your faith has made you whole. The woman who touched the hem of his garment and was healed of, a, of an issue of blood 18 years or 12 years or however long it was. Whenever Jesus turned around to her, he didn't say, hey, I've healed you. I'm Jesus, the son of God. He said, no, your faith has made you whole. The 10 lepers, when they returned, one of them returned. He said, son, go be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. Faith is a big issue to God, isn't it? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we need to figure out how do I bring my faith into a connection? I'm faithless because I'm disconnected from God, which means I need to get reconnected to God. So if our two problems is that we're faithless, we're disconnected from God, and we're perverse, we're too intimate with the world, then Jesus gives two solutions in verse 21, and here's what he says. However, this kind does not go out except but by prayer and fasting. Now, number three in your notes, I'm going to put this down. Some breakthroughs only come by prayer and fasting. If I'm praying for something and I don't see any change whatsoever, I add fasting onto it. Amen. Now, as a church this year, as a church this year, we got a lot of things coming up. We're transitioning. Uh, Donald is, is, is performing a new role in, in literally global ministry. And, and it's a huge step of faith for him. And, and, and it's a huge step of faith for us as a church because we're, we're working to go into a new direction as a whole. And, and we want to see God do miraculous things. But we've got so much going on that it is, uh, it is essential that we as a church begin to take prayer very seriously. And at the beginning of this year, we want to set a foundation. We want, to set a we want to establish something and give this year to God and say, God, we're going to seek your face because we need your direction. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance for the year ahead. And we need to begin to see breakthrough in some areas where we need to see your favor released. And so he gives the solutions to it. And see, prayer is one of the solutions because it brings our intimacy back with God. And like I said before, you need to, especially over these next 21 days, whenever we begin in January the 6th through the 26th, I would suggest that for at least 21 days, you do something radical with prayer. Like do, do something radical like you've never done before. I don't, I don't know what's radical to you, but if, if, if sitting down and carving out an hour in your day somewhere to pray for one hour a day for 21 days is radical, then do that. Do whatever is just is going to move you into a new place spiritually. And even if you choose to opt out of fasting, make sure that you are praying. And don't feel bad. Look, never feel condemned because... I never, one, one thing I never want to happen 
is people to feel condemned because people already do. If I ask you right now, are you praying enough? I ain't praying enough. I ain't praying. Nobody's ever praying enough. Let's just move past ourselves and all agree that none of us ever pray enough. We never fast enough. That's fine, right? None of us do. So let's move on because God does not want you condemned. God wants you encouraged to say, do you realize what you could do even in your failure in prayer? I have failed more fast than I have accomplished. And every time I have, I've seen God move in my life. Amen. So he'll move regardless of our failures or weaknesses or whatever. But he wants our hearts and us to be encouraged to say, God, we're going to go after you. We want to see these breakthroughs to come. And prayer reconnects us to God and it begins to lift our faith up and strengthen our faith. And then secondly, fasting. Fasting eliminates worldly defilement. Now, fasting biblically is not eating food. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm going to fast TV. Well, you can you can. You can set aside TV. You can't actually fast TV because fasting is food. But in your fast, it is wise to set aside things like television. It is wise to set aside social media. It is wise to set these things aside as a part of your fast because you don't want to be distracted. You're eliminating worldly distractions. You're disconnecting from the world in order to get connected to God. Part of why prayer and fasting works together in tandem is because you're so hungry that you're so consumed in your thought life with food and stuff like that that you gotta go pray in order to just get your mind right. And sometimes I found that when I'm fasting, I'm thinking about food. Sometimes I go on a fast and I sit there and watch food videos. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm just like, oh my God. I plan like 375 meals. I got every meal planned through December after a fast. I mean, I, I'm dreaming about like steak and all kinds. I mean, it's awful. But, but what I have to do is disengage, turn off the food video, and then go spend some time in prayer. What I'll notice is if I spend time in prayer, I feel energized. I feel recharged. I feel strengthened. My faith is up. My heart begins to beat. My body feels alive again because I've went and I've connected with God. But you eliminate that worldly defilement. And here's the thing. Every time I involve myself in worldly things, I lose my dominion. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were offered the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they took and they ate. And when they ate, they lost their dominion over creation. They lost their dominion by eating, and we gain our dominion back by not. When we say that very temptation that we want, that thing that we want. And here's the thing. See, th here's the real issue. We're, we're tempted with all sorts of things. We have sin issues and we're tempted with all sorts of things. But food is not a sin, is it? It's not. Food is a good gift from God. And man, I, probably most of it, we may, we may have entered into the realm of gluttony over this Christmas season, uh, some of us. So it's a good time to fast anyway. But food in itself is not a sin. It is our most basic need. You can't live without food. Somebody, right, you, ha you have to eat food. But when, when you choose to say no to your most basic need, you are empowering yourself to a degree where it becomes very easy to say no to sinful habits and behaviors. All of a sudden you become more aware of your gossip. You become more aware of your bad attitude and it starts to cleanse and purify those things in your life. And when you can say no to food, you can say no to getting angry quick. I promise you. When you can say no to food, you can say no to pornography. When you say no to food, you can say no to drugs. That was a dare campaign ad right there. When you can say no to food, you can say no to a lot of things. And, and it activates the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and brings a 
cleansing effect to you. Here's my last point. God releases many benefits when we choose to live a lifestyle of seeking God through prayer and fasting. God releases many benefits when we choose to, to live a lifestyle of seeking God through prayer and fasting. In Isaiah 58, I just want to read through these verses really quickly and then, and then leave them for you and you can read through them later in your own time. But in Isaiah 58 verse 5, God says to Israel, He says, is, is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Now Israel had gotten to a place where they were so religious that basically they would fast and they would seek the Lord, but when they would do it, they had all the wrong motives. They were just being religious. They were just being, going through a religious ritual, going through the motions, right? And God says, is, you think that's all I care about is like you come in here and meanwhile you're oppressing the poor. You don't care anything about what's going on. You're still maintaining the same sinful patterns and habits and behaviors in your life. And you think this is the kind of fast that I've chosen? See, they weren't using their fast to attack the sin in their lives. They were using their fast to camouflage the sin in their lives. And that's a big difference. Because it's so easy, and this is what we do. We do spiritual things. We come to church. We might even read the Bible. We might even pray a little bit publicly. And we're not doing it because we want to attack the sin in our lives. We're doing it because we want to camouflage the sin in our lives. Somebody, ooh, that's good again right there. Might write that down later. I... No fast. When I, when I first started fasting, it wasn't because I wanted to see, God, I just want to see you do something awesome. I want to see you do a miracle. No, I wanted freedom from my sin. I was so tired of being addicted to things that I could not shake out of my life. And at some point, you got to get tired of those same things. You need to be convicted over your sin. Amen. We live, we live in a generation where I've talked to pastors and they say, well, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about sin on Sunday mornings because it's kind of a trigger word. It should be a trigger word. You should get convicted every time we talk about sin. Sin is destroying your life. It keeps you disconnected from God. If we lose people because they disagree with us preaching on sin, then they're not Christians to begin with. And somebody said, well, Clay, you're getting a little bit harsh this morning. I'm telling you, we will not change. We will play games for the rest of our lives until we take our sin seriously and we repent of it. And no fast, no seeking of God is actually authentic until you actually realize that I have sin in my life and I've got to repent of it. And when I pray and when I fast, I am confronting the sin in my life. I'm confronting my anger. I'm confronting my lust. I'm confronting my pride. I'm confronting my carelessness. And I'm saying, God, this is not okay. And I, forget me judging the rest of the people. Forget me judging my church or forget me judging the world. I need something to do in my heart and I'm tired of camouflaging the sin that's crept into my heart deep down in there. I need change. I need purified. I need set free. I need my eyes, my heart, my mind, my ears, everything purified. And that is when fasting gets serious. And that's what God's saying. He's saying, don't just fast. Give me some kind of religious thing. We went on a 21-day fast. Who cares? What did it do in your heart? What did it do in your life? Did you even care whether or not you were changed by it? Were you convicted of the sin that was in your life? If you're going to fast, whatever you fast for, you fast for a lot of things. You can fast for your family. You can pray for our community, and you should. But whatever you fast for, you need to fast for your own personal holiness. You need to fast for your own personal holiness. We live in a church age where people are... are, are 
Honestly, we're divisive. We gossip. We backbite each other. Churches split. People get angry at one another. And listen, that stuff has got to die. Somebody amen me this morning. It's got to die. It can't happen anymore. We have to say, no, the church of all people should show unity beyond. Why would anybody be attracted to Jesus when the very people who say that they're all followers of Christ cannot even get along? I mean, and we need to fast and say, Lord, purify our hearts. This is not a good thing. And see, in verse 6, let's read through this really quick. Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? See, he's saying when you begin to fast with the right motives, you're going to see deliverance and freedom. Addictions are going to be broken off. Yokes of sinful habits are going to be broken off. And prayer and fasting is going to bring this breakthrough and this freedom in these areas. He says in verse 7, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. When you begin to fast, you actually begin to enter into the suffering and the pain of the hungry throughout the world. We act like we got it bad and we're cooking prime rib over Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Like we got bad things going on. You don't have it bad. You don't have anything going on bad. You got it made right now in your life. I know there's some issues and I don't want to play, make light of that, but you do not have it bad. You need to, through fasting, associate with yourself with the people who do have it bad in this world and say, Lord, move my heart to realize and have the compassion that you have for the real people that are seriously broken in the world around me and not sit here worried about my little first world problems. Amen. Verse 8, he says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. He says, One, you're going to have revelation. I promise you, you go through a season of prayer and fasting, God is going to give you a revelation of Himself. He's going to shine light into the dark places. You're going to see things that you've never seen before, and you're going to be awakened to what God wants to do in your life in a way that you never have before. Secondly, there is going to be healing that will spring forth speedily. When we pray and when when we fast, I, miracles of healing do begin to happen. They happen in people's bodies. They happen with people spiritually. They happen with people emotionally. Depression is broken off of people's lives and healing begins to spring forth speedily and their righteousness goes before them. All of a sudden, our character starts to change and come into alignment with God and our hearts are lined up with God and we see that, that, that this, this righteousness is changing us and the glory of the Lord shall be our rear guard. The, one thing we need to fast for in this church is God when we show up here every time we show up we need your glory here we need your presence here we don't just want to have uh, 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 really good songs in the in the mediocre sermons that we have if, if we have everything that is not not good we want your presence more than anything more than we want a sermon more than we want we want your presence in our midst in verse 9, he says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. Basically he's saying there's going to be answered prayer that begins to come and you're going to start to hear the voice of the Lord like you never have before. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, he's saying when you start to fast, he says you need to watch your tongue. You need to quit pointing your finger and blaming other people and you need to start pointing it at yourself. And you need to watch your mouth and quit speaking wickedness and hold your tongue and let him purify your tongue. And then he says in verse 10, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. He's going to bring light into your life and transformation. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually. 
I don't know about you, but I need continual guidance. I make some pretty dumb decisions sometimes. And I need continual guidance. And he says, and he will satisfy your soul in drought. That means even when things are not going well in your life and the circumstances are bad, you're still going to be satisfied. Some of you, you ain't satisfied when everything is going well. And you guys ask yourself, why am I not satisfied? Why am I so discontent with life? He's saying there will be a drought and your soul will be satisfied because the Spirit of God is going to be welling up on the inside of you. And then he says, and strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And verse 12, those from among you shall build. I love this verse. Listen to this verse with me and I'm done. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I felt like the Lord, I was praying a while back and you know, we, we live in a, we, we're in a church where people, we believe in prophecy. We believe in prophetic words. We believe in all that. And one thing that I felt like the Lord said to me in my spirit was, Clay, I don't want you giving this church any prophetic words saying, oh, this is going to be a year of this, or this is going to be a year of that. This is going to be a year of that. It's not going to be a year of anything unless we repent and seek the Lord. I mean, man, that's the best prophetic word you've ever heard, isn't it? People, people get up and preach and they'll say, this is going to be a year of breakthrough, praise God, and, and a vision is going to come into your family. And huh? Bull. It's going to come when you seek the Lord and you repent and you turn to God. Don't, who want, I don't, I'm not interested. Listen, like I said, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but I do not believe in charismatic hoopla. I believe that God calls his people to repent and seek his face. And then we may actually see a breakthrough of something real. Then a word may come forth that is weighty and real. Then a word may come forth and say this is going to happen and God's going to bring it to pass. But these things will not happen unless his people seek his face. And when we do, he's already given us the promise. Some from among us, we're going to restore the foundations of many generations. We're going to be the restorer of the paths to dwell in. We're going to repair the breach. I don't know if you know this or not, but the enemy has broken into our community. He has stolen things at free will. He has broken up marriages and families. He's brought addiction into our children. Our children are lost and turning from God. Some of our churches are dying and closing. We need people to be raised up. And he says, you guys are going to repair the breach and say, no, -uh, not no more, Satan. You ain't coming in here no more. Our kids are going to be free. They're going to be full of the spirit of God. They're going to move this next generation. And we're going to see people being saved and delivered and set free. And we're not just going to know about God. We're going to experience God. We're going to be a city of hope. We're going to really live for God. He's saying, you're going to restore some things if you seek me this way. Amen. Now you, you get to choose. I don't want to tell you what to do as far as prayer and fasting goes. You get to choose. But if I were you, I would start praying about it right now. Look, you got a week. We're going to start Monday after next, the 6th. You got a week to eat as much as you possibly can. <laughs> like put 20 pounds on before the fast, you know, which is honestly not a wise idea. I don't know. I'm going to give you all a little tip. This is, one, this is my fasting tip. I find out every time I go on a fast that I'm addicted to caffeine. Somebody amen me. Caffeine's like a drug, son. I mean, like, I love coffee. 
I may not have many other issues, but if I go on a fast and I stop drinking coffee, I feel like I'm coming off heroin. I mean, it's bad. <laughs> and you're going to come off of this stuff and you're not going to feel good if you actually fast, y'all. But, but I want you to prepare. So what I'm, I start weaning myself off coffee before I, before I enter into the fast. You have to prepare your mind for this stuff. Like, yeah, that's why I'm giving you a week to prepare your mind to say what. Now, again, you decide what you're going to do. If you want to, you can fast a meal a day. You can fast one day a, a, a week to make it easier on yourself. You can say, you know what, I'm going to fast those three Wednesdays, 24 hours, and just really push because that's going to be hard for me. That's going to be difficult for me, and I'm going to cut TV out, and I'm going to spend the time that I would be watching TV uh, praying and reading my Bible. You can make it very simple. Some of you, you may want to challenge yourself and go a little bit deeper. You say, you know what, I've never went on a three-day fast. I'm going to go three days uh, fasting during this time, and I'm just going to have water during those three days, and I'm going to believe God for some big things. And the rest of the 21 days, I'm just going to up my prayer life. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every morning. I'm going to spend an hour in prayer every morning at 5 a.m. What I'm saying is, is that you, you want to gauge it in a way. You may want to say, you know what, I'm going to fast every dinner for 21 days. I'm going to eat during the day, but I'm going to fast dinner every, every day for 21. But do something, do something that challenges you. You know what I'm saying? Don't, if it's easy, it's probably not a fast. If it hurts and you start feeling that bile coming up in your mouth and your breath smells like... You smell my breath for the next three weeks. You don't want me praying for people be falling out in the spirit. They'd be like, man, what? There's some... I mean, it gets, it gets difficult. It gets challenging. But you want to decide on something and you want to expect God to bring about results. And, and, and listen, there's all kinds of resources if you need more information on it to stay encouraged. There's sermons to listen to. There's all sorts of different things. If you need help with it, you, need, you have questions, ask me or Donald. We'd be glad to discuss it with you and help you. But decide something that's going to challenge you and that's going to push you and pray and write down your prayers and journal and think about what you want to see God do for 2020 and believe Him for something. Amen? Well, let's bow our heads. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray together. It's been a long sermon. Lord, I've preached longer than usual this morning, but... Uh, but I guess I just feel like it's, it's really time that we set our hearts as a church, as a people, to what you want to do. And I, and I pray that this word has, has, uh, has been faithful to what you wanted to share and what you wanted to put in people's hearts. But Lord, would you extend to us just a special grace to seek your face, to follow you, to know you, God, we just need that with all of our hearts. In 2020, Lord, we, wanna, we really do want to have a vision of you, God. We want to see you and know you more than we ever have before. And Lord, when we're, when we're called into spiritual discipline, our flesh resists it. We hate it. We don't want it to a large degree in our flesh. But Lord, let, let the Spirit of God rise up within us. And let us see, let us catch a vision of what you want to do in our families, what you want to do in our homes how you want to set people free, how you want to bring healing and deliverance. Let us catch a vision of what you want to do in our region, in Clay County and, and, and in southeastern Kentucky. Let us catch a vision of the souls that you want to save, Lord, in our, in our school systems. Let us catch a vision, God, of, of, of just how you want to transform a generation. You want to repair the breach and restore the paths to dwell in, Lord God. Let us catch a vision of these things and put in our hearts the prayers, God, that you want us to pray 
And let us begin by your grace to seek your face like we never have before. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts because we don't have the strength to do any of this on our own, Lord. So we ask for you. We declare dependence on you, Lord. And we ask you, God, to do something in our hearts. And right now, Lord, we repent of our sin. We turn, Lord, from our sin, from our bad attitude, from our division, from our lust, Lord God, from our anger, Lord Jesus, from our pride from our unwillingness to submit to you, from our attachment to the things of this world. Lord, we want to see you move. And so move in our hearts, God, and let your word take root in us and change us. God, move us in your direction. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.